Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. We have another speaker this, this morning, Janice. Pastor Janice will be bringing us God's Word this morning. How many of you appreciate Matthew and Janice that bring to a bunch of your life group? How many of you appreciate uh, our latest addition to our staff team? Come on. That's awesome. Every time around here, I feel smarter. No. Okay, no. Yeah. I feel smarter. And so, you know, she really, really is such a strength to our team. And so, if you do, can do me a favor, just put your hands together and welcome Pastor Janice as she brings us God's Word this morning. Well, it's not true. I think it's the other way around. When I talk to Andre, it's like, wow, this is his brain. But um, good morning. Yes, in case you didn't catch, my name is Janice. And um, uh, I, we weren't here last Sunday because my family and I, we went back to my hometown. And uh, so we just got back on Tuesday. But I tuned in to Mel's message on that day itself when I was in Sabah. And no kidding. So, so the, the week before last Sunday... I was just asking the Lord, drop me a couple of keywords, uh, what message to bring. And interestingly, so pruning was one of the words. And then, then I was like, okay, uh, I'll, I'll work on that Sunday onwards. Then I tuned in to Mel's and she's just talking about pruning. I'm like, oh, great, she did it. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm just going to write on that because I think uh, it's true. Um, as, we, as we enter into the season or if there's a word in, in season, then we ask the Lord for word that continues to just lead us and align us in that direction, right? So this morning, we're going to talk about even now. And this is uh, inspired from the passage on the raising of Lazarus in John 11. So you're going to follow along with me in John 11. Because it's not on the screen. And so you can scroll along or flip to John 11. We're gonna the rest there there are some other verses that are together we're gonna reference that. We're gonna go with John eleven from our from our Bibles. Okay. So you there? Right. We're gonna read from verses one to eighteen, not the entire chunk yet. So John eleven, one to eighteen. If you're with me, just follow along, I'll read. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better, right? 
Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So when he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. 16. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Wow. 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and Bethany was where they were. And so we're going to read just up to there. Now, in John, there are several signs that tell us the identity of Jesus, right? So this is the seventh. I mean, yeah, some people say seven signs, and this is really significant because this sign is where um, Jesus not only, it's, it's in a place where none of the other seven signs are placed, So like the other seven signs, this is the only one that is uniquely in this place called Bethany. And not only that, this is the sign where the people involved in the sign is mentioned or are mentioned. They have names, right? And then another special thing about this sign is that the dialogue before the miracle actually tells you about what's going to happen. So this is something that is noteworthy. And when I discovered this, wow, I didn't know there's so much. But so the first thing that I learned from this passage or that spoke to me or really like a huge question mark when I'm reading, I don't know whether you noticed, is delays, right? When you were reading it, did you notice? I'm sure you did. So when when Jesus heard the news, did he drop everything and go to Bethany? No, right? What did he do? He waited, right? So the first thing that I'm going to point out from this passage is uh, the delays that the disciples felt. And not only that, the people um, who loved Lazarus felt that there was a delay in what Jesus did. Now, Bethany was about, I'm going to show you just because I like maps. Just because, right? I didn't didn't know until this passage that there are kind of like two Bethany's. Right, so there's that one that is over on the right side, across the Jordan, and then you've got one that is about two miles away from Jerusalem. So for that, so from Bethany to Bethany, like you can just, so from that area of Perea to Bethany, it's about a day's travel. It's about 30 kilometers-ish. So for fun, and because I'm learning places in Singapore, because it's new to me, I put another map, okay? Cannot see, right? So, like, it's kind of like from Changi Airport, walk all the way to NUS, okay? That's awesome, right? That's like more than 10K, but, you know, I would not do that. Yeah, but <laughs> so, that's kind of the distance you can picture. That's how far Jesus was from Lazarus, okay? And, and who is Lazarus? Uh, no need to look at the map, really. So, who is Lazarus? He's someone that Jesus loved. And the passage not only mentions it once, but so many times it mentions that he loves Lazarus. Uh, amazing. Like at least three times it would say, wow, see how he loved him. Right? This was a family that Jesus was extremely close to. But the strange thing is, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, sick to the point of dying, he, he heard it and said, okay, but he... He's not going to die. He's sick, right? He's going to fall asleep. But 
what it tells us in verses 5 to 6 is something really amazing. Next. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. This is like if my kids come and tell me, Mommy, I'm really hungry. Okay, because I love you, I'm going to wait two hours before I'm going to make your meal. Like this, this is, can you imagine? So, so because he loved them, so when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. Okay, now this is really counterintuitive. How many of you would do that? How many of you would not do that? Yeah, more likely than not, we would drop everything because it's your best friend, your close friend. You drop everything and go, right? Not only that, not only would you be compelled by your emotions or, you know, your affection for your friends, but what about what people thought? Like, Jesus, you know, he's full of love and, and compassion and mercy, right? Surely he would drop everything and go. But this curious text says, so, that word right there. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he waited two more days. Incredible. So there was once, back in my home, my sister was going to make banana bread. And Ezra loves banana bread. Okay. Uh, I, I, mine is not as nice. My sister's is much nicer. Like any of you who have eaten my cooking, I would just say that I might average, but my sister, she's really good. So she was making banana bread for Ezra, and Elise was still kind of too young to appreciate this amazing delicacy. So she was making it, but so Ezra woke up from his nap, and he usually has tea time, right, in the afternoon. And he looks forward to his tea time because that's like the one time mommy lets him have sweets. Like sweet stuff, lah, not candy, like cake. So he looks forward to his tea time. So he woke up one afternoon, and he was like, mommy, I want to have tea time, I'm so hungry. He comes to the table, and I'm like, Taiyi is making uh, banana bread. If you just wait like half an hour. I say, no, I don't have tea time now. So he, for, he, he had forgone his amazing banana bread that tastes heavenly because he just can't wait. He's so hungry. But it's exactly uh, kind of like the way that I pictured how it must have felt for people to see, hey, Jesus delayed. And the disciples probably like, what's going on? I thought he loves Loves Lazarus, right? But he stayed two more days. And so I want to suggest that sometimes when we experience delays in our lives, and how many of us experience that? Times when we feel like, you know, you're waiting on God, you're praying for something, or you're just hoping that something's going to happen. God, like, you know, this is what you promised. You felt delayed, okay? But sometimes delay feels like denial, doesn't it? But it's not. You like my little math equation there. Delay doesn't equal denial, but we often think it does. Does he care? If you care, you would act, you would do something, you would go now, not later. But God's love demands that he operates on divine timing and not ours. And God's timing is way better and bigger and perfect than ours. And it's not that our timing is sometimes bad or wrong, but it's more like we don't see the whole picture. And we are bound in time and space, but God is not. 
he's not stuck with, to us. It's like, wow, you know, we feel the urgency and we're taught what is important is immediately urgent. It's important, right? Or it's priority. And in this case, it's important and urgent. Jesus, would you go? But no, he's not denying it, but he knows exactly what he's doing. He says in verse 4, it is for God's glory. And so we see that God's love demands that Jesus operated by his timing and not by the timing of anyone else. Psalms 37, verse 7 to 10, gives this picture of the psalmist just being told to be still. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I've seen, I see lots of cues for food since I come, I've come to Singapore. <laughs> and and uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not Singaporean, Singaporean, but I don't like cues. Okay, so I don't like, like, waiting. Uh, no matter how good you tell me the wonton meat is, you know, what I'm not going to wait for one hour. But, like, as I was preparing this, I'm just like, okay, God, sometimes there are things that w- are worth waiting for. You better wait, right? You can't rush it. You can't shortcut it. And uh, on Thursday, Andre brought uh, Matt and I to go and visit a church, a pastor. And so this pastor was, was really gracious. He sat down and like, shared his story a little bit of him and his journey with the church. And it was amazing because one of the things that he shared was how he prioritized taking time to have his people journey with him for eight years before he saw the changes that he was hoping for. Eight years. Have you been working at something for eight years? Ten? Maybe two years and you're like, I'm done. Oh, wasting my time, you know. And, and it was really, um, it's, it's something that you hear about, but we don't do enough. Is that things that are worth seeing a change is worth waiting for. And he waited. But he, and his motivation was not just because, oh, you know, uh, people take time to change. and it's, it's true. But then it's also the sense that, no, it's important because it's part of their formation. It's important because some shaping is happening while you're waiting and while you're acting. It's not just waiting and then, like, if they change, they change. Lah. You know, then it's not that kind. It's, I'm, I'm going to watch and wait. I'm going to work with God, and God's Spirit is going to move them, and we're going to see people get it, and then there's ownership, and then, I mean, that's my paraphrase, okay? That's what I took from his sharing of his story, and, and it's great because it reminds us that delay, at times God would have us go through that, not because he's denying us, but he wants to give the best and we know that his heart is good and he has our best interests in mind so that's why we reminded in Isaiah 55 that says my thoughts are not your thoughts right neither are your ways my ways for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts I remember um, so there were a few instances because I want you know you guys get some snapshots of my life and Matt as well. And so I remember over the last seven years of our marriage-ish, maybe eight now, okay. Seven-ish years of our marriage, there have been certain moments when we would talk about 
uh, whether we want to move to Singapore. For Matt, it would be move back. For me, it would be move, okay? Difference. And so we took some time. Why oh, you laugh? <laughs> and it took some time for us to kind of come to an agreement. Uh, that one I say for another like longer time, okay? Or you want to you invite us for dinner, and then I'll like share you the whole story. <laughs> Full disclosure. So we get very different perspective. But one of the things that was amazingly, uh, in retrospect, what happened was we came very close to moving here back in 2017. Very close. Um, I was ready, and he wanted to, and we we're praying about it. But there was just no agreement. And all the power of agreement. Yeah. There was no agreement at that moment, and so we decided, even if one of us felt that it was time to go, unless there's agreement, we won't move. And so there was frustration, tension, yada yada. But what happened was then we accepted the fact that it's just not time. Because you can't shortcut that process of, of agreeing and resonance with each other. And so what happened was in August of that year, my dad got diagnosed uh, with leukemia. And never in my life have, would I have thought that that would happen uh, to my dad. And so as we journeyed with my parents and my sister through the next year and a half, I didn't realize it at that time, but only towards the end of last year, 2018, that when I looked back, um, I was so thankful that we got to journey with my parents through that and that we were still there. And it, it was not something that we engineered, obviously. It's not something you can plan for. And it's not that like if I was not there, like, oh, you know, that kind of thing. But it's just, it was just God wanted uh, in some way, his glory to be made known for the fact that we were there and we got to spend time with my dad and I was his, uh, I was his caregiver from, like, from the start, um, taking him to appointments and we got closer to a point where I never, I mean, we were okay, but we really got closer during that time. You know, like we cried together, laughed, uh, we tried to take trips together as far as some Kopitiamna, not really far. Um, <laughs> and most of the time, we were just in the hospital. But those days, and I took time off work, uh, those are valuable. And like, as I look back, I realized that, in a sense, it was a delay, but then there was God in it. And through that, uh, we experienced things as a family that would have otherwise not have happened. So we're really super thankful for that time and uh, for that experience, because through that, my, uh, my dad got closer to God. And he was really, he knows that I trust in Jesus. And that's more than I can ask for. Yeah. So that's, yeah, my, my, my dad. I want to share with you a quote that inspired me recently. So remember uh, last week, Mel talked about pruning. And, and with that comes fruit, right? God will see to it that we are in circumstances best designed by his sovereign love to give us opportunities to bear fruit for him. And this is coming from Elizabeth Elliot, whose life story is just amazing. You've got to read up on her. I won't tell you here. But if you don't know already, you know, uh, 
this woman is, is inspiring. And we find ourselves in these circumstances where God designs us to be able to have opportunity to bear fruit for Him. And that's something that's beyond our mortal sight. And that's why we're exhorted in the Bible that to live by faith and not by sight, not by our feelings, although they matter, but that so that there may be fruit and fruit that will last, right? But oftentimes we, we know, we know this, delay doesn't look like love. It doesn't look like consent. Because really, like Jesus, look, the one you love is sick. And when he heard that, so when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days. Sometimes we have godly plans and hopes. And sometimes those are not God's plans. Right? There are times when they align, but there are times when even godly plans are not God's plans. My agenda is good, it's biblical, it's, yeah, you know, doing this is great, it's a good idea, but is it God's agenda? And these are times when we're reminded. And we need these types of circumstances because we, we're reminded that we're relying on Him. And not just Him, His timing. His clock is really different. I mean, sometimes I can't comprehend it. Oh God, you know, what's this? And even in just seeing long-suffering changes that come about through that. And, and what a joy it is as a community when you see someone experience a fulfillment of something long delayed, but that God brings about in His own way. And so what struck me from this passage is also in this verse, verse 22, is just why we're, I'm calling this even now. Because it hit me when I read this, when Martha was speaking to Jesus, you know, um, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But verse 22, Martha says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now, I, I don't think at that moment, Martha was thinking, he, oh, Jesus is going to resurrect Lazarus like now. Uh, I'm, I doubt that. I doubt that she was thinking that. But she was stating it as a, as a faith, right? You know, I believe in you, Jesus, that whatever you ask, God would give. And I, I don't know what was going through her mind, but it most likely wasn't that. So, yeah, whatever you ask, I will give you, right? So, Jesus, can you, you know, say something and do something and raise Lazarus right now? I don't think she was thinking that. But she said it in a sense that, like, does she understand why Lazarus had to go like that? No, probably not. But did she trust Jesus? Yes. In the mystery, like the song we just sang, in the mystery of it, God, you are faithful. I believe, I trust. And that's why one of the things that I read from Francis recently also, Francis Chan says, can you worship a God who is not obligated to explain his actions to you? Could it be that your arrogance makes you think that God owes you an explanation? Savage? Uh, yeah? We're arrogant people sometimes. We're presumptuous. We think, yeah, you know, God, you know, why? Why not yet? What's going on, God? Something I did or did not do? God just, hit. sometimes he just need not explain just because he's God. But what we do know is that delay is not denial and that God will always be right on time. 
And so much so that it's okay to present our questions or struggles to God, but we trust and we know that He functions by divine timing and He will always be right on time. And that's something also as a statement of faith for many of us, because sometimes we can't see so far, right? But besides delay, another thing that they went through, or Jesus was teaching his disciples, was the aspect of struggle, difficulty. Why do I say that? Now, by the time Jesus arrived, do you remember, the text tells us Lazarus had been dead for four days. That means when the people left Lazarus' home to go to Jesus to tell him that Lazarus was sick, Somewhere en route, he died already. And, but, and then Jesus stayed another two days. And then he walked from Changi Airport to NUS. That took the fourth day, right? 30 kilometers. That's like the four days. And maybe it's three-ish, okay? Whichever. Four, la, the text says. Now, four days is a long time to be dead. Because, you know... If you resurrect on the first day, second day, third day, fourth day, what? No way! Because in the in the in the for the Jewish tradition, uh, you know there is a, a school of thought that um, after three days, a person has passed away. The fourth day is like, you know, like you might as well be six feet under. Well, wish he was uh, and. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was in a bottom tomb, it was underground. So yeah, he cannot be dead, basically. If, if you're dead on day one, day two, day four, you are really dead. Like, like everything dead, okay, bring everything. Four days, you cannot be dead. And Jesus took that time to come after four days. And it was heavy grief time. Martha was grieving, Mary, and they came, Lord, if you had been here. Can we have the next Next. Okay. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then verse 32, now when Mary came, she fell at his feet, said the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I don't know ever if you crossed your mind when you read this. But actually, if Jesus wanted to raise Lazarus, he doesn't even need to be there. Lah. You know what I mean? But that's like, you know, if you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. And not only that, the Jews were there, Grieving with them. The next one. It was some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man uh, also have kept this man from dying? Like they also expressed that in some level, there was belief that Jesus could do that, right? He had the power to do it. But couldn't he have done it? I don't know if Martha or Mary meant that statement in blame. Because the way I read it, it doesn't. You know, it's not like they're blaming, you know, Yeah, why didn't you come? You didn't you come? But it was just stating that if you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. Uh, maybe some of you, I'm not sure if you defer, but the point is that though, Martha came to Jesus and said, if you had been, but there was grief. And because at that point, there was no way they could have known that Jesus was going to resurrect Lazarus. No way. We sometimes gloss over this, we read this, because we, we, we get the whole story. But when you read in verse 1, you already know that Lazarus is going to resurrect, but not them. They were grieving. It was real to them, and they were present in that mourning 
when Jesus showed up. And that's the same for us wherever we are. It doesn't matter whether you know the outcome will be good in the end because sometimes you, your pain is just so real. Our frustration, our anger, our fear, whatever that, that you're upset about, whatever that, that's causing this intense fear that paralyzes us, or whatever crisis that you're going through, or whatever lack that you're sensing in your family, at work, in your sense of identity or calling, that pain is real. Even if someone can say, hell, you know, Jesus is going to, yes, the outcome is, but we're not invalidating what they were mourning. And that was the death of their own brother. And as they were going through that, it's like darkness. And I remember there was a time, and I shared this in like very tiny snippet with uh, our LG, was when I experienced the betrayal of someone who was super close to me, someone that I really looked up to. And uh, because of some communication thing, um, I ended up in a condition or in a place where a lot of the youth that had grown up, you know, I've seen growing up and those that I led, many of them, be, it, it caused a huge mit misunderstanding and many of them thought differently of me because of that betrayal. And there was no way, and neither did I want to um, explain myself because, you know, sometimes the more you say is better don't say that. And, and it was that kind of situation. I, I, I felt so much pain in that time uh, that I could honestly say it's probably the most painful season of my life. And I took about three years to recover from that pain of betrayal. And I mean, I knew at that time, yeah, um, this is happening for a reason and God's in it, but it was painful. But part of us, even when with what Martha was saying, is when we go through difficult times, is that we do want to say that, I, I know Jesus, you're in control. And so I think that's why Martha and Mary said that, if you had been here, because at some level, they were sad, but they were saying that, Jesus, you make things better, right? Jesus, you can always do something and so that's why martha said even now but difficulty just like delay is not necessarily denial difficulty guys is not defeat and i can tell you there are so many times i put an equal sign there when something gets difficult i feel defeated I wallow in my self-pity. Oh, here we go again, you know. Why me? And maybe some of you are like that. Maybe some of you are not. I don't know. But difficulty is not defeat. Think about the cross. Why doesn't he, you know? Why doesn't Jesus say a word and Lazarus will resurrect? Why doesn't he? Well, God's love demands that he operates by divine timing and that he sees us through a divine process. And this is like the pruning that Mel talked about. That divine process is not something you can truncate. It's not something you can organize. It's not something you can plan reserves for. No. It's the kind that Jesus will make sure that you rely on him way more than ever. 
because God's love demands that we go through that divine process. We know Romans 8.28 says this, those who love God, for those who love God, He will work all things for our good. Those who are called according to His purpose. I want to draw attention to verses 33 and 38. If you're still there on the text, or well, it's on the, it's on the slide, the next, next slide. Next one. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Then verse 38, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. In fact, verse 35 tells us that Jesus wept. And some of the translations for this verse, right, when it says that deeply moved, it's not just um, like moved in terms of grief, but it's a move that is like there is a, um, almost angry move. Like almost, it, it reminds me of uh, what P.D. preached on anger before, like that righteous anger, that indignant anger. It's, it's that kind of emotion here. Jesus was deeply moved. So it makes me ask the question, was he deeply moved in the sense, was, um, was he angry that they were mourning? I don't think so. I think he was angry at how when we allow, when we go through difficulty, when we allow our grief and all that to take over a sense of hope and joy and life that we can still have even now. I think that he was indignant because of that. I think he was feeling like, hey, the darkness of the world, sometimes it messes with our joy. It messes with our sense of peace, the peace that the world cannot give, the peace that comes from another source, and that is Jesus, the peace that is out of this world. And sometimes we let difficulties and the struggles, I myself included, the trials, the obstacles we face in pursuing what we believe God has called us to pursue, we allow that to rob us of our ability to celebrate even before we see the outcome, even before we can see any good coming out of it. But hey, we know that sometimes even now, God can do something. Even now, I know, Jesus, you can always do something. Even when I cannot be lower, Jesus, you can do something. You can work something in me, in my family, in my situation, in my friend, whatever it is that looks totally hopeless, even now, Jesus can do something. And that is what we're learning from this passage today, is that Jesus Though he is present, he mourns with us, but he can always do something. Amen. Isaiah 43, verse 2. Let's turn here. It's not up on the slide. Or I can read to you. Isaiah 43, verse 2. Who's there? You there? Isaiah 43, verse 2 tells us, When you pass through the waters... I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. It doesn't say if you, when you, right? When you walk through the fire, you will not be burnt. The flames will not set you 
ablaze. Jesus, fully God, fully human, fully in control, fully there. He is right there with you and I in our delays, in our difficulties. He is never far. He is like even what Chris prayed. He's an ever-present help in time of need. Ever-present. And, you know, just it was cool that Andre mentioned the four babies, the four new babies that we've had. You know, the, you know the joy of after the pain of labor. Okay, maybe some of you can't picture this because, you know, you haven't experienced that, some of y'all. Well, yeah, I mean, thank God for epidural, but <laughs> there is still pain, right? There's still pain involved. And when the labor process is done and you're holding the baby, that process, you can't, you can't take it away. And that is that process that actually enables the baby to be well-formed and ready for the world. It is that process. It's not like you can just cut open before 40 weeks and you, it's, it's, it's not. You gotta wait for the time and it's gotta go through the process. And that's the kind of process that's necessary for joy to come through. I remember there was one time, I'll tell you some sad moments in my life, right? So I told you just like one just now. And there was another time when I was, because I was leading youth ministry for about seven-ish years in my home church, when what happened was uh, for the first few years, I was just basically like charging alone. I was like, I don't know what I was running on, but you know, I was just, I don't know what's the example, but I was alone. Like I had no team. And I was just like, yeah, you know, we can do this. So like, I, I, I barely got sleep. I was, you know, my parents hardly saw me. It was that kind of life. And for the first few years, it was great because it was kind of like the, the youth leaders got really close to me and we bonded and stuff. And then, you know, kind of life cycle, then you really need to invest in raising new leaders, right? So I remember there was one camp um, when suddenly, I don't know what happened. I mean, God happened. Um, our youth grew to like 250 after the camp. Uh, there was one Saturday night. We met on Saturday night. And it was like 250. And uh, for, for that city and for you know, that area, 250 is a large number. Like, you know, and even for English speaking. And you don't laugh at me. Maybe you, might. you can laugh at me later. But so what happened was, you're supposed to be happy, right? Because this is not like we went out and like dragged people in. As people just came, right? And, but for some, I was, I was sad. Like, not happy. Are you wondering like now why? What's wrong with you, Janice? So what happened was, I felt already so stretched wanting to see the young people disciple well. And, and it was my heart's desire to see that the church owned uh, this, this parenting spirit and this culture. But I, I, you know, I worked so hard and just I couldn't see other adults picking it up. I couldn't see, uh, that's the words I use. I don't think that I can say there was none, but I couldn't see. And so when the youth grew to 250, I was literally almost depressed. 
I was like, I went home sobbing in my van driving, and I went home crying. I was like, God, why so big? You know, what's wrong? Why are you not sending help? I thought you promised to send help, and there was time and time again when people prayed or over our ministry or over me, and they would say, like, you know, you're going to be da 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 And they was like, oh, yeah, amen, amen. And then I opened up my eyes, and I'm like, I felt like there was no team. And that's how depressed I was feeling. I was wallowing in this self-pity like Elijah, you know, just kill me now, you know, so big, what to do, you know. But through that experience, God slowly got me out of it. And I started to experience a different way of viewing it. So God just began to send encouragement by some of the other youth pastors. And they worked, walked with me, prayed for us. And slowly I realized that I had to change a lot of the ways that I was sharing about the youth ministry to the other adults. And I started to learn to be patient and not rush and not expect that the adults would be just ready and plonk and come. But I needed to actually learn to walk alongside them and then slowly introduce them to the ministry. And that, that took a lot of patience. And if you stay with me, you will know that I'm not strong in patience, okay? I may look patient, but I'm not patient, okay? But better now la, than 10 years ago, right? Yeah. Because of Jesus, okay? <laughs> so, but that was another time when I realized that that process was actually really important for me to learn to work with God better and to be a part of the privilege of involving and engaging people to serve together and see them through serving become better disciples. And I learned that. And that's kind of like what, you know, the pastor was sharing just now is uh, the formation of the people. So how can we, if you look at the cross, how can we encounter the cross and resurrection power without facing difficulty? We can't, right? Check out this quote by C.S. Lewis. You never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death to you. There is a little thing in our office that says, by Bill Johnson, we owe the world an encounter with God. Did I quote it right? We owe the world an encounter with God. How do we encounter the resurrection power of God? Without facing difficulty. There is no way. That is exactly the cross that we're called to carry because Jesus showed the way, right? And that's the way of life we're called to live. And though he says, yeah, I'm going to be right on time. I'm going to be right there with you. You're still going to face delays. You're still going to face difficulties. But because of these, you will encounter a God that is greater than these. A God who is not loving that he spares you these. But he loves you and that's why. He loves us so he lets us go through delays and difficulties. It is because his love demands that he leads us this way. 
And so we experience the cross. So I experience at the end of the day, we can say, I can bear witness to the power of God. I can bear witness to the fact that God is more than enough for me. I can experience that I can overcome, not because I can, but because He makes me can. Pardon my England, okay? But He makes it possible for me. He makes it possible for you. And because we encounter that, we can now say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus and what He's done for me and what He's done for us. And just like, um, I like what Jason said one time when he preached, our lives need to bear witness of the identity of Christ. How do you do that without these? We can't. And so in a sense, I'm exhorting you, not in a sadistic way, to welcome delays. I'm saying, welcome the difficulties. Bring it on. Because that's what shapes us. If we want to be a strong church, you want to be strong disciples who are rooted and grounded in true faith, God, bring it on. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to have difficulty going through it, but I'm going to learn to go through it because even now, you can do something. I believe even now, when things look deader than dead, like the dry bones, even now, you can do something. Guys, it's easy to believe or have faith for the future, yet God's going to make it better in the future. I know in the end, Jesus wins. No. It is harder, but it's necessary that we have this specific faith for the whatever that you are presently facing. It's easier to say, Jesus, yeah, you are good. I know it's going to turn out well. But now, even now, Jesus, you can do something. And because it's for your glory, I will go through it. Because your timing is better than mine. Your process is way better than mine. And I'm going to turn out better than I think I can because you're going to make me able and ready and strong and refined. And that is worth whatever else we think. That is worth way more than any other accomplishment or anything we treasure or value. And that is the kind that we want to share with the world, right? So we're going to end. I'm just going to end with Romans 8. If you can turn there, I want to invite you to read that with me. And we're going to close We'll have to band up. Romans 8. If you're there, Romans 8, we're looking at verse 31 to 39. If you can stand, if you don't mind, um, to read this with me aloud. Romans 8, 31 to 39. But even before we read that, uh, just a couple of minutes. <laughs> on a Amen. <laughs> just a couple of minutes before we read this passage out loud together uh, with one voice, I just want to invite you to right now just raise your voice and begin, begin to ask God for one particular situation or face or name which you can trust and believe, God, you want to choose to say, Jesus, even now, you can do something. Think about that person, that situation, or that, that hard place right now. And just begin to lift up with your voice and, and lift up to Jesus and say, Jesus, which you even now, Jesus, even now, you can do something. Let's do that before we read that passage. Raise your voice and just bring that to God. Jesus. Yeah.
lift that up even now